All right, well, today's study, we're going to go through four chapters faster than you've ever gone through four chapters before. And then we're going to come back and we're going to dive back into that account where Moses has the Lord pass him by and reveals his glory to him. Because there are some things I didn't get to share I want to get back to. So we're going to kind of do a summary form of chapter 37 through 40. Um, And these are all things we've talked about. I've shown you kind of like artist graphic design of what each of these things were. Essentially where we're going to see um, in these chapters 37 through 40 is the completion of the tabernacle. So in other words, they gave the plan and then they actually went and built it. And we're going to find out here in these chapters that they actually did do it just the way the Lord had told them. But the title of the study is When God Passes By. So from that, you can understand that the emphasis is going to be more um, at the end of our study that relates to this title than here at the beginning. So chapter 37, verse 1, down to chapter 40, verse 33, is the section that talks about the completion of the tabernacle. Exodus 37 Um, Verses 1 through 29, it talks about the items that are inside the holy place. You have the Ark of the Testimony. That's where the mercy seat is, inside the Holy of Holies. You have the table of showbread. You have the golden lampstand. You have the altar of incense. And so much of this, speaking of the ministry of the Lord, Jesus is that mercy seat. He is our propitiation. If you recall that the, the, the word that's used for mercy seat in the New Testament is used and is translated propitiation, that Jesus is our propitiation, or he is our mercy seat. Um, he is that covering for us. On the table of showbread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Um, that's in verses 10 through 16. 17 through 24, you have the golden lampstand that illuminated the holy place where those heavy curtains are. And so you would have needed that light inside there, even as we need the light. And Jesus said, what, I am the light of the world. And then you have the altar of incense at the end of that chapter, which David likened to prayers that are being offered up. So as they put incense upon this uh, little burning um, altar, it would fill that room um, with that uh, aroma of worship that was, would have been associated with that. Well, into chapter 38, told you we're going fast, chapter 38, verses 1 through 8, outside of this tabernacle in the courtyard area, you had two main uh, features, and that was the altar of sacrifices, verses 1 through 7. This is where they would place the animals, the grain offering, the drink offering. This is where the, um, the worshiper would be able to come and see and offer up their sacrifice to the Lord. And there was also a bronze laver, which the priests would wash in before they began ministry and also just for cleanup after uh, being, you know, sacrificing so many animals. In chapter, at the end of the chapter, um, verses 9 through 31, you read of just the actual construction of the, the curtains and the tabernacle and how it was all put together. And so you have curtains and sockets and rings and materials and the colors that were used, a blue and purple and scarlet there in chapter 38, verse 23. And then in chapter 38, verses 24, 25, and 29, it tells you that they use gold, silver, and bronze. So you're you're getting an amazing amount of detail here. And it's just saying, this is how we did it. This is what we built. 
In chapter 39, um, we focus in not on the construction and the items that were used in worship, but we actually focus here upon what the priest would be wearing, so his clothing. And the Lord gave specific instructions on how he should be dressed and that he should never alter that. So in chapter 39, you have the ephod in verses 1 through 7. In verses 8 through 21, he had that breastplate. Remember, they had the 12 stones. As you read there, you'll see each of those stones are, are, are noted, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So the priest never went before the Lord without representing Israel to the Lord. And our faithful high priest stands and he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so your name is being brought before the Lord. And in verses 32, I'm sorry, verses 42 through 43, we read, and that's the end of chapter 39, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. So they were obeying to the to the smallest detail. Their work was being evaluated, but they did everything. There was nothing that God gave them to do in getting this tabernacle ready that they did not do. They did it exactly the way they were supposed to, which is good news because this is the same group of people just months earlier were worshiping a golden calf. So that they're putting this kind of detail and attention into this, that, that, that's pretty hopeful. Why is there so much information given about the tabernacle? Well, because the Lord wanted it to be built exactly like another one. Does anybody know what the other one is? Well, it's, yeah, it's talked about in Hebrews, and that is in heaven. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 says that this tabernacle, the temple, is a copy of the one in heaven. There's one in heaven. I fully expect when we get there, that you're going to see this, and you will be glad that we went through. And Maybe you'll even wish we would have spent more time on each of these items because you won't look like you are seeing these things for the very first time. You're like, yeah, that's the altar of incense. I've seen that before. We talked about it. We read about it. But isn't it amazing you have the presence of God in their midst, the most significant feature of it all. But then he says, and I'm also going to give you a tabernacle and later on a temple and it's going to represent, it's going to be a copy of the one that is in heaven. So that as they worshipped, there was something holy and specifically of God as they did that. Well, in chapter 40, verses 1 through 33, the tabernacle is erected. This is what you read. It is made operational. And um, then we close with just those last verses, verses 34 through 38. We read of how the Lord fills the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory filled the tabernacle. So the cloud is associated with the glory of God. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and at night it took on the appearance of a fire over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. For 40 years, every time they looked at the tabernacle of meeting, they saw the cloud by day, 
They saw the fire by night. Every single morning they collected manna. They were having a miraculous supply of water throughout their wanderings. God showed up and was in their midst in a very, very visible way. You know, as you think about application to our own lives as we kind of move from the construction aspects of our study this morning, um, we need to be filled with the Spirit. You know, there is not a tabernacle today like the temporary one in the wilderness or like the one that Solomon made. We are the tabernacle. We are the meeting place of God. The Lord is taking each and every one of us as living stones, and he is putting us and fitting us together into a dwelling place of God. The Lord is in our midst, the church. The church gathered, the Lord is in our midst. That is amazing. That is why it will never be considered non-essential. Is because God is here. Now, if God's not here, then I guess you can, you can debate that one. But if we are meeting with the Lord, then this is the most significant place around, not to the exclusion of anywhere else where the church is gathered in the name of the Lord. Don't mean it like that, but just wherever the true church of Jesus Christ is gathered to worship and to be taught and to love and to serve, he is in our midst. You know, Jesus is a carpenter. But what they believe he would have worked on the most was stone. Stone, which is pretty fitting for somebody that's building a temple, don't you think? Jesus said that I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And each one of you is part of that building. He's putting you in there. And sometimes you, you get rubbed up against a brother or sister that feels like a rub, right? That's all right. Allow the Lord to do his work. He's taken off the rough edges as he puts us together that we might then be filled with this Spirit, not only in our gathering, but individually we are also referred to as the temple of the Lord, and that the Spirit of God dwells in us. The last point of application before we go back into Exodus 34 is, did you notice what a loose touch they had on their location? Whenever the Lord moved, they moved. When the Lord stopped, they stopped. They weren't so into, well, we really like this oasis, or we've really gotten used to this mountain scene. or You never heard this. If the Spirit of the Lord moved, they moved. They had a loose grip on this world. And I think that is a whole sermon for us if you want. You can go do it together. What kind of grip do I have on the world? If the Spirit of the Lord is to say to me, it's time for you to move, it's time for you to go, I'm going to take you out onto the mission field. And I realize not everybody's going to go on the mission field, but I want every one of you for a moment to imagine that God is calling you onto the mission field today. You know, like, I can't do that. Just pretend a little, okay? Pretend a little. And if the Lord was to come to you today and say, I'm sending you, I'm taking you here. My presence is lifting up and I am leading your family in this direction. Would you go? And if you wouldn't go, or what are the obstacles that would keep you from going? Because if the Lord says go, there really shouldn't be any obstacles. We just go. We follow him. You know, if we sense that the cloud is, hey, the cloud is lifting, honey. All right, let me start packing up. We got to be ready to go. If the Lord's moving, we want to go, it's slowing down. All right, then let's, let's begin to unpack and let's set up. Would you follow it or would you have really good reasons to not go? Like, well, my family. 
You know, well, I'm sorry, I just, I love my family too much to be a missionary. And so those who are missionaries don't love their family as much as you? Nah, that's not what you're saying. But let's think about some of these things that we, we run through our mind. Well, yeah, but I do love my family. Well, yeah, but Jesus said you cannot love your family more than you love him. And if you love your family more than you love him, that you are not what? Worthy of him. Well, you know, but at this job, I finally got into this. Hey, light touch on the world. You know, we can make decisions. Well, I've got this. I finally got this position. I finally have the education. I finally got into this place. Yeah, and that can last how long until you're, you know, that company is sold and somebody else comes in and decides to shut down this branch and now you don't have it. They're not committed to you the way the Lord's committed to you. Don't be committed to a thing of this world greater than a commitment to the Lord. What are the reasons that would keep you from going if the Lord was to call you? And if he picks up and he moves, you got to go. Next week will be 28 years that we started, had our first Sunday morning here in Lynchburg. And I'll share a little bit more about it. But let me just say this aspect. It was scary. If I was to tell you at 27 years old, married with two kids, and we have three now, but two kids at the time, Moving from Southern California out here was not a scary proposition. I would be lying to you. It was scary. It was like, what is going to happen? Last conversation I had with my pastor, Brian Broderson, before he went out, he goes, well, do you have any questions? I'm like, yeah, Brian. I said, I'm scared. He goes, well, yeah, it is kind of scary. I'm like, I go, I just can't. I said, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, and I show up into town. It's like, I'm like, I'm afraid nobody's going to come. And he just laughed. He actually just laughed out loud. He says, don't worry about it, Troy. You just go and do what you're supposed to do. And I said, yeah, but you know, I'm not like, you know, some great evangelist. I said, I'm just, I'm just a simple Bible teacher. And that's my gifting. And he says, don't worry about it. The Lord will bring people. And so as I look out and I see all the people that have come, I can look and say, oh, I'm so glad I didn't chicken out. I'm so glad I didn't come up short and say, no, I can't see it, so I'm not going to do it. When the Spirit of the Lord moves, if he says, go here or do this, if it's him, you do it, just like they did. And so he has this wonderful picture there. Let's circle back to chapter 34 before we end our study here in the book of Exodus. And in chapter 34, um, 33 and 34, Moses asks for this most amazing thing. Do you remember it? He says, Lord, show me your glory. And he says, well, I'll show you my glory, but you can't see me face to face. But as I, I'll put you in the, in, in the mountain, and I will pass by you as you're in the cleft of the rock. And then as I am leaving, you can look upon the trailing edge of my glory, but you're not going to see me face to face. And so he does. This is exactly what takes place. And the Lord, when he reveals his glory, tells him what his name means. And so we read in verse 6 of chapter 34, um, and actually verse 6, and then we'll pick up yeah, a little bit of verse 7 too. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, and he goes on. And you can go to last week's study for a further look at that. But I want you to pay attention there in verse 6. I'm reading from the New King James right here. Um, into the, on the third and fourth word, or, or the, really this is the fourth word, and the Lord passed, passed. 
Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, but it was later translated into the Greek language. And that translation is called the Septuagint. It's in the Greek, which is usually when you study a word, you're going to want to dig into the Hebrew and find out because that's what it was originally written in. But if you read, if you follow the translation, it's pretty interesting to be able to do that because the entirety of the Old Testament is written in Greek. You can use this uh, to compare New Testament written in Greek. You can compare words of the New Testament and Old Testament together using the Greek language. And that's what we're going to do here. The Greek word written in Septuagint is the word parerkomai. It doesn't matter if you remember it. It's passed by. That's what it means. And it's used in many, many different ways. Sometimes it's in very common, uh, not very significant usages. You can imagine the way in which the word passed by could be used. But there are times where it speaks of the Lord's presence or it speaks of the Lord um, maybe going to pass by and not do something. And I want to look at a few of those examples in Scripture. So first of all, let's begin by just looking at this. In Jeremiah 29, 13, we read that if and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. All your heart. Not part of your heart. Not most of your heart. If you want to find me and you come after me with all your heart, you're going to find me. Moses raises his hand and says, Lord, I want to see your glory. Well, I like the way you think, Moses. Um, I tell you what I will do. You're not going to see me face to face, but you can experience my glory, and I will reveal my name to you. And he experiences this. Paul, remember, writes to the Corinthians about this scene in the Old Testament. And he says, now, Moses had glory when he saw the Lord, and then it would fade. So he would put a veil over his face until he saw the glory of the Lord again. And then he'd lift the veil and he'd speak to Israel. It would fade, see the glory of the Lord, lift the veil, speak to him. They never saw his face other than at 100 watts, okay? No dimmer switch on him they ever saw. They, he veiled it. But what does Paul say in Corinthians? He says, now, he had a veiled face, but we go with unveiled face, and we go from what? Glory to glory. Our experience in the presence of the Lord far surpasses even that of what Moses experienced there in Exodus 34. And so this is the heart of the Lord, is to make himself known. We see it as the Lord passes by and proclaims himself. We see it in the, the, the words of Jeremiah, seek after me with all of your heart. But we also see it in the words of Jesus in John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. Look at this last sentence. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. You're one of those eaches that Lord wants to reveal himself to. Think about that. God wants to reveal himself to you, to me. He wants us to know his glory. He wants us to know the encouragement, his power in our life. This is the heart and the mind of the Lord. So this is our first example, not really in the Bible, but it is the first example of the Lord passing by and there being some amazing encounter with him. Now we're going to look at the, this word pass by, and sometimes the Lord is going to pass by and he is going to do something that's desirable, and sometimes he will pass by um, and not do something that's not like judgment. And so we'll see this word used in a few different ways. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 18. First example I found of this in the Bible is Genesis chapter 18. 
in verses 3 through 6, and we see our God doesn't pass us by in difficulty. God does not just leave you on your own. We read in verse 3, and this is, this is a scene later in Abraham and Sarah's life. They've received the promise that they're going to have a child, but they don't have a child, and they're really, really old. The Lord's going to show up in a theophany. Um, there'll be a couple other angels with him, and they come as men, and the Lord speaks and says, you're going to have a child about this time next year. And what does Sarah do when she hears this? She laughs. But she laughed to herself. And the Lord said, why do you laugh? She goes, oh, oh I didn't laugh. He goes, yeah, yeah, but you did laugh. I know what you're thinking, lady. I heard you laugh inside. And so it's like, well, look how old we are. And the Lord said, is anything too hard for me? That's the scene we're looking at. So let's read verse 3. It says, then said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on. So to pass on, there's that, that, that word parerchomai. Your servant, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried in the tent, Sarah um, to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. What is this? It's fellowship. It's fellowship with the Lord in a difficult moment. They have a promise from God, and the promise is you're going to have a child. But they are, they're, now they're looking at this promise from this God who had told them originally to leave their land, and, and it's not coming to pass. What does this mean? What's going to happen? And the Lord shows up, and he says, you know, and, and Abraham sees a, this, this opportunity. He goes, wait a minute, stay here. Please don't leave. I must fellowship with you. I must sit down with you. Don't pass by in that sense of leaving and not interacting with us, but, but be here, be in our midst. And so the Lord does this and makes this revelation. I want you to know, I want you to be reminded that God is the one who fulfills promises in your life today too. Is there something that you've been clinging on to from the word of God that you've yet to see happen? Be patient. The Lord is going to be faithful to what he has promised in his word. Now listen, we can come up with our own understanding of what that promise is and what it's going to look like, and it may not always align with what God is going to do, but God will always be faithful to his promise. What are the promises of the Lord? What is it that you're expecting him to do in your life? If he has said it, you can do it. It's like, even if it's an impossible. Listen, we're really old people. I mean, we're, we're going to be having kids. Yeah, but you are going to have a kid. Because nothing is too hard for me. Nothing is impossible. And you may be in that circumstance right now. And you just need to hear it. The Lord say, what I have promised to do, I can do. It is not too difficult. And so don't allow this moment to pass you by. Don't allow this moment to cling to the Lord and sit with him and fellowship with him and allow him to manifest his word of promise in your life again. Why is it, or what is our heart like for the Lord? Is it like Abraham here, just knowing that he's around, saying, oh, wait a minute, please don't go, don't go, don't go, please stay. I mean, you hear the heart of, of Moses in that, don't you? I just want to see you, please. And now Abraham's like, don't go. Stay right where you are. Don't move. We'll get something because he wants to have fellowship. Is this a description and a, the cry of our heart is to have fellowship with the Lord? 
or have we gotten too busy? Let's move on into Exodus chapter 12. Probably the most famous of all the Passovers is the Passover. It's that, it, that's the same word we're talking about. Remember the 10th plague? The 10th plague was going to be judgment that would come upon the land of Israel. And anyone who was in a home where the firstborn, whether it be a, a, an animal or a human, what that firstborn was going to die. And the Lord made a provision that they wouldn't have to experience that judgment. But there's a way that that judgment could pass over them. And that is if they would take a lamb and they would slaughter it. And they would place the blood on the lentil and the doorpost. That lamb becomes prefigures the Lamb of God, Jesus, who came and hung on the cross and his blood was shed. And now all who come to him and receive his work on the cross, that blood is applied to them. And we are not under the judgment. We are not under the threat of God's judgment because the blood of the Lamb has been applied to our life. And so God, our God passes over where the blood is applied. And I ask, is that your experience? Have you experienced the fullness of the Lord? Or have you come of salvation? Have you come to him? Have you, you put your faith and trust in him? And ask him to forgive you of your sins. He will then pass over your sin. I mean, he is a faithful God. If you do not, then judgment will come. The judgment is real, but he wants to pass over. He does not want you to have to experience that. And so Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that is a statement that Paul makes in the New Testament. Next example is in 1 Kings chapter 19. And this one really is quite close in many different ways to Moses' example. In 1 Kings chapter 19, you have Elijah, the great prophet. He had met with Jezebel's uh, prophets of Baal. Jezebel was a queen in the land of Israel. She was ungodly. She was an idolater. And she had uh, priests that she had raised up, the prophets of Baal. And he confronted them, Elijah did, on Mount Carmel. And they remember they're cutting themselves and they're chanting all day long. And then the Lord, then, no, then Elijah has the opportunity to call upon the Lord. Um, nothing happens with them except they're tired out. And he builds this altar and soaks it with water and then calls upon the Lord and fire comes down and consumes everything. And um, after that, Je when, and then those 400 prophets were put to death. And Jezebel finds out and says, I'm going to kill Elijah. And he's like, oh, no, I'm a dead man. And he runs into the wilderness for 40 days, and he is despondent. And he, he actually is suicidal. Read the account. He just says, just let me die. I don't want to live anymore. After this high moment in his life, watching God perform this power at the threat of a powerful woman, he is, he is undone. And so the Lord comes to encourage this discouraged prophet. And we pick up the story there in verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Notice the Lord is all capitalized. It's Yahweh, the name that, um, covenant name of God. And behold, the Lord passed by. There it is again, that same word. He passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the, before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, what? 
a still, small voice. The Lord comes and he meets with him. He passes by Elijah there in this, this cave in the same way in which he passed before Moses. And he says, here I am. I'm your Lord. And you don't need to be afraid. And what you find is that in verse 15, the conclusion of the Lord showing up is, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, head north. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Get back to work. I've chosen you as a prophet to the nation. And you're down here, and you're discouraged, and you're despondent, and you're ready just to quit. And the Lord comes, and he shows up. Isn't it good that the Lord comes, and he shows up to meet with us in those same moments of our life, in our discouragement when we're cast down? And maybe it's even we're discouraged and cast down in the work that God has called us to do. You're doing the very thing that God's called you to do, but somebody threatened you. Something happened, and now you're just ready to cash it all in and just end it all. And the Lord's like, wait a minute. Let me show up. Well, show me something powerful. Not that he asked for this, but I'm just kind of thinking how weak he is. Show me something powerful. Show me, you know, an earthquake. Show me the rocks splitting in two. Show me some big storm. Show me the fire. And the Lord's like, but I'm not in that. Here's what I'm in. I'm in my still small voice that encourages you and says, I called you and I know you and I see you in your cave and you don't even want to come out and I've come to you. The Lord comes to you. He passes by you and you need to hear that still small voice. Well, I need to really see him do something amazing. No, you don't. You need to hear a still small voice. That's what needs to happen. And that still small voice is, Go back and do what I've called you to do. Go back to the last thing you were doing when I called you into service. So again, another amazing pass by, another uh, amazing parerchomai of the Lord with one of his servants. And in the next example, it's, it's negative. This is a negative example of passing by. Um, and we're going to see that God had been passing by and not bringing judgment, but the Lord says, I'm not going to pass you by anymore. Um, I'm going to come, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to bring judgment. Amos is writing. He's a sheep breeder, um, not a trained prophet, all right? And, and the Lord calls him as a prophet, and he begins to speak to the northern tribes. This is prior to Assyria invading, and the state of the nation is, well... If you're, if you're using and measuring things by all the worldly matrix, it couldn't be better. Everything's going well. Finances are going well. The nation is going well. Safety and security, it's all just as it should be. And the Lord says, but I'm not going to pass by your, judge, or your sin anymore. I'm going to come and I'm going to bring judgment. And it's found in two verses. Amos 7, 8 says, And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line, a standard. And the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not pass them or pass by them anymore. Remember in, uh, when Peter is addressing the issue of, well, if the Lord is true, then why hasn't he returned? God must not be true. You've been waiting for Jesus to come back for a very long time. And he says the reason why he hasn't come back is because he's long-suffering. Remember what we talked about long-suffering was? 
the, the, the literal saying for long-suffering was? Long of nose. It's hard to forget, isn't it? God is long of nose. He's got a long fuse. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. So he's waiting for people to get saved. And he's passing by the judgment that this world is due. Or we could think of what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea. I've given you space to repent, but you haven't. So the Lord does give us time and space. He had given the northern tribes uh, opportunity, and the Lord had passed by bringing judgment, but the Lord says not anymore. Again, in Amos chapter 8, verse 2, the same thing is said, just different illustration. Amos, what do you see? He said, I, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. Here's the point. The Lord might have been passing by you and not bringing that chastening into your life. And things are not right. They had everything going well, but spiritually they were a mess in the northern tribe. And God was giving them a chance to get it right. And maybe you've been entertaining sin in your life. And it's like you got a promotion and you entertain more sin. And it's like, wow, my you know, finances are going better than ever. And you've been living in sin and everything around your life seems to be idealistic and perfect. And you think somehow that God's okay. And this is what he would say. I'm not passing by that anymore. When is that day? Well, we know when it, it was coming for them. In short order, they were going to experience the judgment of the Lord when the Assyrians came in in 722 B.C. And, and just brought chastening. But we don't know the date. How long... Do you feel comfortable as a child and follower of the Lord of pushing out repentance? I mean, it's like you know. I mean, you are so uncomfortable with what's going on in your life. And you keep pushing it out. Yeah, but it's okay. I don't really see any problem with it yet. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything. But he's been giving you space to repent. But what happens when the space is gone? What happens when the Lord says, here's the plumb line. The standards, I'm not going to pass by. Then you're going to see the, the chastening of the Lord. You're going to begin to see impact upon relationships. You're going to begin to be what's going on in private in your life can then now begin to be exposed publicly to bring you to that place of repentance. And so God loves you. And because he loves you, he says, I will chasten you. But he gives us the space. It's not so different than how we deal with our kids. I mean, you don't, your first line of action you know, in correction with your kids, hopefully is not to spank them. If it is, you need to come in for some counseling. We will help you with this, all right? That's not the first thing you do with your kids. You tell them the expectations. You let them know. You remind them. You say, listen, you better, you need to, you know, not be doing these things. But then there comes a point where you have to chasten them. And the Lord may be giving you space, and he's giving you an opportunity to get it right. And he's reminding you in the word. He's telling you what the rule is what the commandment is, and you keep on doing that thinking it's okay, but when that space is gone, he will, he will humble you. I would rather be humbled before the Lord and have a right evaluation of myself than to be deceived before the Lord and appear before him and say, well, didn't I do many great things in your name? Uh, what's your name again? I don't have it here in my book. And so when the Lord chastens, it is an act of kindness and love. So this is a passing by that was, um, you know, they had been experienced, but he wasn't going to pass them by anymore. He was going to bring chastening into their life. He was able to deal with sin, and 
Don't misread it in your own life. Two more examples. Mark chapter 6. We move into the New Testament. And again, because we're following this word in the Greek language, we can follow it into the New Testament. In Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 51, we're going to read this in just a moment. But I want to let you know what's going on before. He had just fed the 5,000. So he had with you know, five loaves and two fish, had fed 5,000 men out in the wilderness. The idea is, does this seem kind of like a Bible story to you? I mean, do you remember when God fed you in the wilderness in a miraculous way? Well, they were impressed, and John tells us that they wanted to take him by force and make him king, which is kind of an interesting way. Are kings taken by force to do something? So although we read that they, under, they wanted to make him king, they're wanting to do it by force for their own personal gain. They really don't understand who he is and that it is God in their midst, that it is I am, that it is Yahweh. And Jesus is going to reveal himself um, at one point, and Johnny's going to say, before Abraham was what? I am. And so they're going to pick up stones to kill him because he has made himself equal with God. So he is the I am. He is the Yahweh, the Lord of the Old Testament. He is the same one of the new. And they don't understand that, and they don't see that. All that is significant. So they want to take him by force. He puts his disciples in the boat, says, go to the boat. He goes to the top of the mountain. Let's pick up the story. Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed on the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have what? Passed them by. That's interesting. Why would he pass them by? What's going on here? I think he's wanting them to see his glory and his power, that he's not a king that they can force to do anything, but that he is I am. Keep reading with me. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, I am. Now I realize your translation says it is I. But the words here are ego I me, which is I am. And so he would have passed them by just like he was passing by Moses. And when Moses saw him, he saw the nature and the power of the Lord. And here he's going to pass them by. Not to just kind of skirt them, but he wants them to see him walking on the water. To understand who he truly is. There's an interesting verse in Job chapter 9 verse 8. It says, of God, he alone spreads out the heavens. Okay, we agree with that. And treads on the waves of the sea. God alone treads on the waves of the sea. There's a storm going on, and Jesus is showing up, and he's walking on the water. The Bible has already declared there's only one person that does that, and that is God. And they are going to come to understand who he is. It says, verse 50, For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, for they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Uh, trying to tell you they were blown away. 
Look at verse 52. For they had not understand about, understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. So when that miracle happened, they didn't get it. But when this miracle happens, they're amazed and they're marveled. It goes beyond belief. Our God passes by in our trials to show us his glory. Could it be that the trial you are in right now, or the next trial that will come into your life, has this one purpose? It's not to be a blessing to somebody else. It's not to show his power, you know, in some mighty way for those around you. But it's simply for this, that you will know who he is. That you will marvel and that you would be amazed beyond measure at your God in your life. And what if that is the case? Would you accept that trial knowing that the only thing that's going to happen through it is that you're going to see the glory of the Lord more clearly in your life? Or would you opt out and say, mm, sorry, I'm not really a trial kind of a person. I'd rather just let that go. Then why? Why would you rather allow a trial go that could reveal a deeper understanding of God in your life? It isn't the only way God can do it. But wouldn't you agree with me that trials are often the way we see the glory and the power of God in our life? And this is what's going on with them. The last scene is in Luke chapter 18. There's a man by the name of Bartimaeus, and he's blind. And we pick up the story there in Luke chapter 18, verse 36. And we're going to see that our God passes by to do the miraculous. And hearing a multitude passing by, it's the same word, he asked what it meant, so they told him Jesus of Nazareth was what? Passing by. Parakamai, same word. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he said, I don't think so. He cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, praise, gave praise to God. They saw the glory of God show up as he passed by this blind guy. And God does not perform miracles every time we call upon him. But in this case, when blind Bartimaeus was calling out, nobody was going to shut him up. And I wonder if that is a description of us. Nobody could get us to be quiet, to call out upon the Lord for that thing that we have need of in our life. It's like, ah, later. I'll deal with it later. But for blind Bartimaeus... This was his one chance. He had heard of the miracles that he had done. He had heard of other blind people, no doubt, that Jesus had heard. And when he found out blind and unable to see and maybe even to direct his voice in the proper direction, he just begins to get loud. And it's like it's annoying. You have a screeching man as Jesus is coming back. Hey, brother, be, be quiet, be quiet. He's like, no way. And he just cries out louder. The screech gets more irritating. So finally the Lord says, what do you need? I need mercy. Oh, mercy. What can I do for you? I want to see. You can see. Your faith has made you well. May we learn to call upon the Lord when he passes by and to not put it till another day. We're going to close with the song, an old hymn that says, Lord, pass, uh, pass me not, O gentle Savior. 
And if you need to see the Lord work and move in your life today in one of these ways or in some other way, maybe it's just for the fellowship or maybe it is for him to do something in your life. Or maybe you want him to pass on by and not bring the judgment. Then today is the day to repent. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your manifested presence. Jesus, I love that you said it out loud and it was recorded that you would make our hearts your home and you would reveal yourself to each of us. Lord, I am convinced that there is no greater need in my life, my family's life, and my brothers and sisters here than that we see you, that you would pass by and proclaim your name, that you would pass by and encourage us, that we would repent that you might pass by and not bring judgment, that you would pass by in the storm of our life and show us who you really are because maybe we've missed it already or that you would pass by in power and bring healing to an aspect of need in our life if you need to come to Jesus as your Passover then right where you are you can ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to cleanse you with the blood that he spilled when he was on the cross and your sins will be atoned for. He will become your propitiation. They will be covered. They'll be removed. And you will not be guilty before the Lord anymore for those things that you've done. But you've got to call upon him. You've got to ask him, so Lord, forgive me. I, I, I receive what you did on the cross for me where your blood was spilled. I receive that, Lord. Pass over the judgment that I'm deserving of. And the Lord will come and make your heart his home. But you've got to call upon him. He's not going to put anybody in headlock and drag him into heaven. You've got to call upon him. As we close with this song, we're going to be up here in front to pray with you. If you need prayer, come on up. But seek the Lord. If you need to be a blind Bartimaeus, call out. Don't let it pass. Don't let it pass by. The Lord loves you and he wants to work in your life. He's alive, he's well, he's moving. Thank you, Lord.